Chapter Thirty Seven of the Mutiny of the Elsinore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mutiny of the Elsinore by Jack London. Chapter Thirty Seven. A wonderful event today. For five minutes at noon, the sun was actually visible, but such a sun a pale and cold and sickly orb that at meridian was only nine degrees eighteen minutes above the horizon and within the hour we were taking in sail and lying down to the snow gusts of a fresh southwest gale whatever you do make westing make westing this sailing rule of the navigators for the horn has been bitten out of iron i can understand why shipmasters with a favoring slant of wind have left sailors fallen overboard to drown without heaving to to lower a boat cape horn is iron and it takes masters of iron to win around from east to west and we make easting this west wind is eternal i listen incredulously when mr pike or mr mallair tells of times when easterly winds have blown in these latitudes it is impossible always does the west wind blow gale upon gale and gales everlasting else why the great west wind drift printed on the charts we of the afterguard are weary of this eternal buffeting our men have become pulpy washed out sore corroded shadows of men i should not be surprised in the end to see captain west turn tail and run eastward around the world to seattle but margaret smiles with surety and nods her head and affirms that her father will win around to fifty in the pacific how charles davis survives in that wet freezing paint-scabbed room of iron in the midship house is beyond me just as it is beyond me that the wretched sailors in the wretched forecastle do not lie down in their bunks and die or at least refuse to answer the call of the watches another week has passed and we are to-day by observation sixty miles due south of the straits of lamar and we are hove to in a driving gale on the port tack the glass is down to twenty eight point five eight and even mr pike acknowledges that it is one of the worst cape horn snorters he has ever experienced in the old days the navigators used to strive as far south as sixty four degrees or sixty five degrees into the antarctic drift ice hoping in a favoring spell to make westing at a prodigious rate across the extreme narrowing wedges of longitude but of late years all shipmasters have accepted the hugging of the land all the way around out of ten times ten thousand passages of cape stiff from east to west this they have concluded is the best strategy so captain west hugs the land he heaves to on the port tack until the leeward drift brings the land into perilous proximity then wears ship and heaves to on the port tack and makes leeway offshore i may be weary of all this bitter movement of a laboring ship on a frigid sea but at the same time i do not mind it in my brain burns the flame of a great discovery and a great achievement i have found what makes all the books go glimmering i have achieved what my very philosophy tells me is the greatest achievement a man can make i have found the love of woman i do not know whether she cares for me 
nor is that the point the point is that in myself i have risen to the greatest height to which the human male animal can rise i know a woman and her name is margaret she is margaret a woman and desirable my blood is red i am not the pallid scholar i so proudly deemed myself to be i am a man and a lover despite the books as for de Casares, if ever i get back to new york equipped as i now am i shall confute him with the same ease that he has confuted all the schools love is the final word to the rational man it alone gives the super-rational sanction for living like bergson in his overhanging heaven of intuition or like one who has bathed in pentecostal fire and seen the new jerusalem so i have trod the materialistic dictums of science underfoot scaled the last peak of philosophy and leaped into my heaven which after all is within myself the stuff that composes me that is i is so made that it finds its supreme realization in the love of woman it is the vindication of being yes and it is the wages of being the payment in full for all the brittleness and frailty of flesh and breath and she is only a woman like any woman and the lord knows i know what women are and i know margaret for what she is mere woman and yet i know in the lover's soul of me that she is somehow different her ways are not as the ways of other women and all her ways are delightful to me in the end i suppose i shall become a nest builder for of a surety nest building is one of her pretty ways and who shall say which is the worthier the writing of a whole library or the building of a nest the monotonous days bleak and gray and soggy cold drag by it is now a month since we began the passage of the horn and here we are not so well forward as a month ago because we are something like a hundred miles south of the straits of la mer even this position is conjectural being arrived to by dead reckoning based on the leeway of a ship hove to now on the one tack now on the other with always the great west wind drift making against us it is four days since our last instrument sight of the sun this storm-vexed ocean has become populous no ships are getting round and each day adds to our number never a brief day passes without our sighting from two or three to a dozen hove to on port tack or starboard tack captain west estimates there must be at least two hundred sail of us a ship hove to with preventer tackles on the rudder head is unmanageable each night we take our chance of unavoidable and disastrous collision and at times glimpsed through the snow squalls we see and curse the ships eastbound that drive past us with the west wind and the west wind drift at their backs and so wild is the mind of man that mr pike and mr mallaire still aver that on occasion they have known gales to blow ships from east to west around the horn it surely has been a year since we of the elsinore emerged from under the lee of tierra del fuego into the snorting southwest gales a century at least has elapsed since we sailed from baltimore 
and I don't give a snap of my fingers for all the wrath and fury of this dim gray sea at the tip of the earth. I have told Margaret that I love her. The tale was told in the shoulder of the weather cloth where we clung together in the second dog watch last evening, and it was told again, and by both of us, in the bright-lighted chart-room after the watches had been changed at eight bells. Yes, and her face was storm-bright, and all of her was very proud, save that her eyes were warm and soft, and fluttered with lids that just would flutter maidenly and womanly. It was a great hour, our great hour. The poor devil of a man is most lucky when, loving, he is loved. Grievous indeed must be the fate of the lover who is unloved. And I, for one, and for still other reasons, congratulate myself upon the vastitude of my good fortune. For, see, were Margaret any other sort of a woman, were she, well, just the lovely and lovable and adorably snugly sort who seems made just precisely for love and loving and nestling into the strong arms of a man, why, there wouldn't be anything remarkable or wonderful about her loving me. But Margaret is Margaret, strong, self-possessed, serene, controlled, a very mistress of herself. And there's the miracle, that such a woman should have been awakened to love by me. It is almost unbelievable. I go out of my way to get another peep into those long, cool, gray eyes of her, and see them melting soft as she looks at me. She is no Juliet, thank the Lord, and thank the Lord I am no Romeo. And yet I go alone on the freezing poop, and under my breath chant defiantly at the snorting gale, and at the greybeards thundering down on us that I am a lover. And I send messages to the lonely albatrosses veering through the murk that I am a lover. And I look at the wretched sailors crawling along the spray-swept bridge and know that never in ten thousand wretched lives could they experience the love I experience, and I wonder why God ever made them. And the one thing I had firmly resolved from the start, Margaret confessed to me this morning in the cabin when I released her from my arms, was that I would not permit you to make love to me true daughter of herodias i gaily gibbed so such was the drift of your thoughts even as early as the very start already you were looking upon me with a considerate female eye she laughed proudly and did not reply what possibly could have led you to expect that i would make love to you i insisted because it is the way of young male passengers on long voyages she replied then others have they always do she assured me gravely and at that instant i knew the first ridiculous pang of jealousy but i laughed it away and retorted it was an ancient chinese philosopher who was first recorded as having said what doubtlessly the caveman before him gibbered namely that a woman pursues a man by fluttering away in advance of him wretch she cried I never fluttered. When did I ever flutter? It is a delicate subject, I began with assumed hesitancy. When did I ever flutter? she demanded. I availed myself of one of Schopenhauer's ruses by making a shift. From the first you observed nothing that a female could afford to miss observing, I charged. 
I'll wager you knew as quickly as I the very instant when I first loved you. I knew the first time you hated me, she evaded. Yes, I know, the first time I saw you and learned that you were coming on the voyage, I said. But now I repeat my challenge. You knew as quickly as I the first instant I loved you. Ah, oh, her eyes were beautiful, and the repose and certitude of her were tremendous, as she rested her hand on my arm for a moment, and in a low, quiet voice said, Yes, I... I think I know. It was the morning of that pampero off the plate, when you were thrown through the door into my father's stateroom. I saw it in your eyes. I knew it. I think it was the first time, the very instant. I could only nod my head and draw her close to me. And she looked up at me and added, You were very ridiculous. There you sat, on the bed, holding on with one hand, and nursing the other hand under your arm, staring at me, irritated, startled, utterly foolish, and then, how, I don't know, I knew that you had just come to know. And the very next instant you froze up, I challenged ungallantly. And that was why, she admitted shamelessly, then leaned away from me, her hands resting on my shoulders, while she gurgled and her lips parted from over her beautiful white teeth. One thing I, John Pathurst, know, that gurgling laughter of hers is the most adorable laughter that was ever heard. End of chapter 37